I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Numbers chapters 11 through 13. After 10 chapters of wilderness preparation, Israel finally packed up and moved out toward Canaan in Numbers chapter 10. And the people were really excited after 13 months or so of, you know, getting everything ready to go. They're excited to be finally on the march toward their new home. But in this chapter, chapter 11, something goes dreadfully wrong. And we're just given three verses, but let's look at those three verses. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Well, as I said, we're only given three verses here to describe this incident. Here's all we know. The people of Israel complained, and God sent a destructive fire to the outermost part of their encampment. When the people cried out to Moses, Moses prayed, and the fire stopped. Moses subsequently named the place Taborah. That's a name derived from the Hebrew word for fire. And why did it happen? Complaining. Now, we might not give very much attention at all to this incident, uh, had it not been for the fact that nearly 39 years later, it's mentioned again as one of the three significant occasions when Israel provoked God to wrath. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 22. And here's what that verse says. And at Taborah, and at Massa, and at Kibroth Hatava, he provoked the Lord to wrath. Actually, as a matter of fact, the quail incident in the following verses that we're going to look at in just a few moments happened at Kibroth Hatava, and Massa is a reference to the water from the rock incident in Exodus chapter 17, verses 6 and 7. Well, that means that as the Israelites were preparing to enter into Canaan in Deuteronomy chapter 9, their three most notable rebellious uprisings were in the first two years of their departure from Egypt. That's quite a record, isn't it? Well, we see in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 15, that the people complain again. Verse 4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as the coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of bdellium. And the people went about and gathered it, and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? 
And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that they should say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth the sucking child, unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Well, just doing what they do best, complaining, that's what the Hebrews did. But this time, the instigators are the mixed multitude traveling along with them. That Hebrew word means rabble. It's a word that accurately describes troublemakers. We actually find a reference to mixed multitude two other places in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, and Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 3. But in those verses, a different Hebrew word is used, a word used to identify the people of that continent who were not Hebrews. The word is Arab, but those people who lived among the Hebrews nonetheless. But here we're talking about the attendants that traveled with the Hebrews out of Egypt who likewise were not Hebrews themselves and obviously reluctant companions. These non-Hebrews caused the Hebrews to become dissatisfied, and they begin complaining as they reflect back on the good old days back in Egypt where they had lots of food. So they ask, Who shall give us flesh to eat? in verse 4. But notice their description of those fine meals of Egypt in verse 5. They say, We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. (laughs) That's fine dining. And pardon me for asking, but hey, where's the beef? The only meat product they mention is fish. Yet this caused the Hebrews themselves to become disgruntled as well. They were just sick, sick, sick of all their all-manna diet. So what was the result of this complaining? Well, verse 10 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses also was displeased. Now, if you're an Israelite back then, there are two whom you do not want to get upset with you. Well, too late. Moses gives his why me speech before God in verses 11 to 15 when he appeals to God for some relief. Moses had a pretty bold conversational relationship with God as seen in verses 14 and 15, where he says, in essence, God, either help me out here or just go ahead and kill me. Incidentally, this complaining episode takes place at Kabroth Hata'ava, and it is referred to 38 years later in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 22. It says, And at Tabram, and at Massa, and at Kabroth Hata'ava, ye provoked the Lord to wrath. This incident and the fire incident up in verses 1 through 3 are listed as two of the three most significant occasions when Israel provoked the Lord to wrath. Well, now we find a solution, maybe a little too much of a solution, beginning with Numbers chapter 11, verse 16, down through verse 35. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them into the tabernacle of the congregation. There with me, and I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, 
that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen, and thou hast said I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my words shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out into the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses gat him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And they went forth the wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hata'ava, because there they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed from Kibroth Hata'ava unto Hazareth, and abode at Hazareth. Some Bible accounts just ooze with fascination, and this is one of those. Keep in mind, the people have herds of cattle, but they only eat those on special occasions. Those circumstances, by the way, are explained in Leviticus chapter 17. Well, besides, if they eat them while journeying, they won't have any left. Notice that allusion in verse 22. And you'll notice in, from verse 5 here that they did not expect to eat from the herds. They reflected back on the fish. Well, how about some quail? Correction, not some quail, but rather massive quantities of quail. For a whole month. How much quail? Well, verse 20 says, Until it comes out at your nostrils. Now, how many ways can you think of to cook quail and manna? Fried quail with manna biscuits, baked quail with manna rolls, steamed quail and manna croissants. Well, I'm out of ideas already. 
Moses does get some administrative help here. God actually speaks to the elders in addition to Moses. These elders had been appointed at the suggestion of Moses' father-in-law back in Exodus chapter 18. We're not given a lot of detail regarding their role here. They were positioned around the tabernacle. We see that in verse 24. And after God spoke to Moses, they began to prophesy in verse 25. This apparently established their credibility among the people of Israel so that they might share in the burden of leadership with Moses. When two men took their prophesying with them from around the tabernacle into the midst of the people, Joshua seemed to kind of go into a panic. Moses doesn't seem to see that as a problem in verse 29. Now he has help from God in bearing the burden of leadership as God vindicated the leadership of these elders by their prophesying. So how much quail did God send for those 30 days? It was so much that the ground was covered with them for a full day's journey in either direction. However, notice verse 33, it says, And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. For many of them, this was their last meal. Here's another one. How about some quail pot pie? Incidentally, as I mentioned earlier, the incident took place at Kabroth Hata'ava, and that's referenced in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 22. Oh, one more thing. This is the second time God sent them quail to eat. It had previously happened back in Exodus chapter 16. That chapter also records the first appearance, the very first appearance of manna. In the next chapter, Numbers chapter 12, we see that Miriam, Moses' sister, tries to interfere with Moses' wedding plans and suffers some consequences. Verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out ye three into the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently." and not in dark speeches, and the multitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, Lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people removed from Hazareth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Well, were those wedding bells I hear? Moses has just taken another bride, and she's an Ethiopian. The transliterated Hebrew word there is Cushai. That's a descendant of Noah's son Ham, rather than a descendant of Noah's son Japheth, from whom their Hebrew ancestors were descended. Well, Aaron and Miriam, Moses' sister, they aren't happy about this. What follows can be misunderstood if you don't read it very carefully. Look at Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. They're actually questioning the judgment of Moses and suggesting that they are discerners of God's will as much so as Moses himself. Incidentally, notice the demeanor of Moses there in verse 3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. I'm guessing that Meek is not the impression you may have had of Moses up to this point. Anyway, God takes exception to the we're prophets to assumption and speaks to the three of them regarding that fallacy at the side of the tabernacle from the pillar of smoke. That's the Shekinah glory. When the smoke clears, well, pun intended, Miriam has leprosy. And she would keep that leprosy for a period of seven days as a lesson to Aaron and to Miriam. Let's face it. Moses was the undisputed single leader of the Hebrews, and not even his sister would be permitted to challenge that leadership. And by the way, we see a significant God-given distinction regarding Moses in verses 6 through 8. Moses, unlike anyone else, can speak to God directly in live dialogue rather than in dreams or visions. It is true, however, that Miriam was considered a prophetess according to Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. However, the distinction made here between her prophetic abilities and those of Moses should serve to settle any future prophetic rivalries. The Hebrews had witnessed Moses communicating with God in such a fashion back in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 23. Oh, by the way, while Abraham desired to see his son Isaac marry someone who was ethnically compatible in Genesis chapter 24... So did Isaac and Rebekah regarding their son Jacob in Genesis chapter 27, verses 41 through 46. Later, however, we know that two of Jacob's sons, Judah in Genesis chapter 38, verse 2, and Simeon in Genesis chapter 46, verse 10, that they in fact had taken wives from among the Canaanites. Of course, we know that Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, were descendants of Joseph's Egyptian wife. And furthermore, Moses' first wife was a Midianite. Furthermore, in all the occurrences of list of marriages forbidden to the Hebrews under Moses, only Canaanite tribes were mentioned as taboo. Canaanites were descendants of Ham's son Canaan. We see that in Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 to 29. Now, here in Numbers chapter 12, Moses takes another non-Hebrew wife. These facts, coupled with the reference to the mixed multitude we see in Numbers chapter 11, 
Well, one might very well deduct that a significant number of Hebrew men had taken non-Hebrew women as their wives over the period of their Egyptian captivity. Well, one more point. The fact that the men of Israel, the twelve sons of Jacob, grew from twelve to 603,550 over the period of Egyptian captivity makes it certainly seem likely that a significant number of these post-captivity Hebrews had a mixture of non-Hebrew blood flowing through their veins. However, remember, you were a naturally born Hebrew if your daddy was a Hebrew. Didn't matter whether your mama was or not. Some have suggested that Miriam is referring to Moses' Midianite wife here, Zipporah. She very well may have looked like a Cushite, an Ethiopian, thus lending to the speculation of some that Miriam was simply making a non-factual, disparaging comment about Zipporah's Midianite heritage. However, the statement of fact at the end of verse 1 should dispel that notion when it says, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. We have no additional details about this marriage, nor do we know whether or not Zipporah had passed away before this marriage. Now, here's a question to ponder. Why do you suppose only Miriam received God's judgment here and not Aaron also? In actuality, the Hebrew of verse 1 begins with a feminine verb, which would be translated as follows, And Miriam spake, and Aaron. That would indicate that Miriam was the leader of the two in this rebuke Moses venture. They waited for the seven days while Miriam endured her leprosy before they pulled up stakes from their encampment in Hazareth and moved to the wilderness of Paran. Hmm, isn't it interesting that Hebrew wedding feast typically lasted for seven days? That seven days of marital bliss without one sister around to criticize. Significant? I don't know. You make the call. Numbers chapter 13. This is where things start to go really, really bad for the people. Let's begin reading verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names, of the tribe of Reuben, Shammuah, the son of Zakur, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun, of the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, the son of Raphu, of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sadai, of the tribe of Joseph, namely of the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susai, of the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, of the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael, of the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, the son of Vophsai, of the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Machai. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. 
and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zen unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south, and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, and Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came into the brook of Eskel, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook of Eskel, because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and said, Let us go up at once, and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Well, here's the big break for which Israel's been waiting. This is the mother of all real estate offers, and twelve influential leaders, rulers, one from each tribe. They were selected to go spy into the land on a spy mission. These are listed by their names in verses 4 to 15. Moses commissions a name change in verse 16, and O'Shea, the son of Nun, becomes Jehoshua, also known as Joshua. In the Old Testament, a term we call Theophoric. A Theophoric name was one which had Jehovah's special name integrated into it, often with the Y-E-H equivalent letters as a prefix in Hebrew. That appears to be the intent here with regard to Joshua, which in Hebrew is actually pronounced Yehoshua. After all, Joshua had been at Moses' side during some of the most significant events of Israel's existence. As a matter of fact, Joshua was Moses' servant and even accompanied him when he received the law upon Mount Sinai, beginning in Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 to 18. The team of spies gets their commission in verses 17 to 20. It's, you guys go up to Canaan in the land that God promised us and bring back a report on your findings. Well, gone for 40 days, touring Canaan, the 12 spies return in verse 26. So guys, what's the word? Well, they said we have some good news and we have some bad news. First, the good news. Great land, very nice place to live. Bad news. Big, bad people. They already live there. I mean, huge people. you got to love verse 33 where they say, We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, that's huge. 
They're referring to the Amalekites, Hittites, Jebusites, and the Canaanites. These giants were descendants of Anak. As it turns out, God sends them across the Jordan River in Deuteronomy chapter 9 to take on these giant people, and the Hebrews actually win. However, those victors are the children of these cowards that went over into the spy mission. So 10 out of 12 of the spies say in Numbers chapter 13, verse 31, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Ooh, wrong answer. However, no harm so far. It's going to depend on how the people of Israel respond to this report. Well, Caleb was bold in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. It says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So whose recommendation will the people follow? Well, we'll see it when we get over to Numbers chapter 14. Now, there's a little more to the story than we find actually recorded here in Numbers chapter 13. We find the little more over in Deuteronomy chapter 1 as Moses recounts the events of this day, looking back 40 years afterwards. Let's look particularly at three verses from that chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 21 Moses is giving a report, talking about what happened back then. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set that land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe. So here we get a little extra background information from Moses as he recaps these events to the next generation about 39 years later. We see in that passage that Moses had instructed the people to go on into the land and possess it, but the men of Israel negotiated with Moses a deal to send spies in instead. This turns out to be the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, the rebellion of the people against God and Moses at the return of these spies causes Israel to spend an additional 38-plus years of wandering before they would actually be able to go in and possess Canaan. This is the most significant wilderness experience for the Hebrews. The fallout continues as we get over into Numbers chapter 14. And that's where we'll take up in tomorrow's reading. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.